thank you for coming to the podcast. It's Top Turtle MMA Podcast, episode 59. We have a tremendous show for you today. We are going to be speaking to UFC's number five ranked light heavyweight, Jimmy Manoa, ahead of his big showdown with Corey Anderson. And we're also going to react to perhaps the greatest post-fight interview to take place in the Octagon with Derek Lewis last night at UFC Halifax. But before we get to all that, I want to tell you about two tremendous brands in the world of mixed martial arts. First off, if you do a high-impact sport or activity like, I don't know, MMA, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, grappling, whatever you want to call it, and you're not using a Sisu mouthguard, you are a certified dummy. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. Learn about the next generation of mouthguards. They have a crumple zone, okay? I don't know what that is, but it absorbs impact forces, and it's fortified. It has optimized perforation patterns. You're probably smarter than me when it comes to science and math and stuff like that and engineering. So go to SISUGuard.com. Find the right mouth guard for your sport or activity. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouth guard in your mouth. I also want to tell you about Datsusara. Datsusara makes fight gear out of hemp, way stronger than cotton, super durable, antimicrobial, all important things when you're in an MMA gym. Head on over to dsgear.com. I recommend checking out their fight shorts. I train in them all the time, and I love them. But maybe you're a gi guy or a gi girl. Check out their hemp gis. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, all one word, not case sensitive, and get yourself a nice little discount. That's at dsgear.com. So in summation, Sisu Mouthguards and Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership. It's part of the Sports Daily Network. You can get us there. Also, tune in Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. Really, wherever a podcast is being streamed, we're there. Give us a like, give us a download, hit the subscribe button, write a review. It really helps the show out, and we really appreciate it. Gumby, one of the things I always say I like about our podcast and what fan feedback has given us is that we're straight shooters. We just get right to the point. It was a busy weekend in MMA, so I'm not going to do a lot of preamble. Let's just get right into it. Last night, Derek Lewis knocked out Travis Brown in the second round. Late stoppage, by the way. And then proceeded to give what I believe is probably the greatest post-fight in Octagon interview conducted by Brian Stan. Maybe of all time, what was your thoughts on both the performance by Derek Lewis and the interview afterwards? Yeah, let's start just with the interview, because the interview I thought was hilarious. Um, I, I mean, the, the comment about Rousey may be a little bit over the line. Uh, Where Rousey's fine ass at? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that was pretty good. I, I did especially like, though, after being kicked in the stomach like maybe 200 times by Travis Brown in that first round, he blamed the fact that he was holding his solar plexus on the fact that he just had to take a dump. Yeah. He, <laughs> didn't he say, like, I have a boo-boo tummy? And he said, uh, he said he had to take a two, and that gave him a boo-boo tummy. <laughs> <laughs> just amazing. And just, you know, the comment about uh, Rousey paraphrasing, basically, I'm glad the ref let it go late. It was a late stoppage uh, because – 
Travis Brown likes to put his hands on women, which was allegedly said by his ex-wife. There were some Instagram photos. You can check that out on the dark corners of the internet. And then, after saying he likes to hit uh, or beat on uh, men who hit women, he then said, where's Rousey's fine ass at? <laughs> which kind of took him back from, you know, his yeah, feminist from, card from got like, revoked. Yeah, real quick, it went from being like, <laughs> oh, what a really positive message to like, that, well, that's kind of creepy. Um, and, and at the same time, I think probably my favorite part of the interview was that he was delivering it so deadpan and without any emotion, I think because he was tired, that Brian Stan didn't even realize most of the things he was saying. It was just phenomenal. You could throw it uh, on your Google and uh, just check out the post fight if you haven't seen it. That being said, uh, the performance and where does Travis Brown go from here? So so as far as the performance, I mean, it's kind of hard to say about... Derek Lewis, because, I mean, what has he won now in a row? Six? Five, five six? Yeah, he's I think won a bunch in a row, right? four, and Derek Lewis is, yeah, is he six? I'll have the intern check it out right yeah. now. So I, I think he's won six in a row, and at the same token, he's looked so bad in some of his <laughs> wins, right? Like, I mean, if you piece together the first three rounds of fighting Shamil Abdurakimov in the first round of Travis Brown, and you showed me those four rounds in a row... I'd be like, don't let this man anywhere near a title shot. So this is a man who back in September of 2014 lost to Matt Mitrione, then came back and beat Ruin Potts, and then lost to Sean Jordan. So this is a one and two fighter heading in to his fight with Victor Pesta in October of 2015. Uh, Fighting for his job. Fighting for his job. Against Victor Pesta. He then reels off six wins in a row. TKO Victor Pesta. TKO Damian Grabowski, KO Gabriel Gonzaga, split decision over Roy Nelson, TKO Shamil Abdurgahimov after the most boring first three rounds. It happened in the fourth round because it was a main event, inexplicably, and then uh, the KO of Travis Brown last night in another main event. Yeah, and, and like I said, just like in some of those fights, I mean, take the Roy Nelson fight too. I mean, take a couple of the rounds of the Roy Nelson fight. He got taken down by Roy Nelson regularly. I mean, like, when you look at all that together, has he made a really good case to be fighting for a title? I I don't think so. Not at all. I think he's just a fun heavyweight fighter. I think he's like a, you know, maybe a Mark Hunt sort of 2.0, but he's not really as a, he's not more advanced than Mark Hunt, but he's just fun. Uh, And and I think that's where I'd go with him next. Whoever wins the Mark Hunt, Alistair Overeem matchup, I think it's a good fit for him. Um, I think both Overeem and Hunt might be over his head. Um, but, you know, like at this point in time, he knocked out Travis Brown, so you got to go up. It's just like how far yeah, up he, you want to go. It's a great point. He's had some moments in at least the last three fights. Roy Nelson, Shamil Abdurahimov, and Travis where he's Brown. really bad. Yeah, where he's looked like garbage. Yeah, absolutely. But... You know, fun fighter. I don't want to see him fight Naganu because that's just killing off no, no, no. two and, rising and, prospects. And, and he's not ready for Naganu either. You know, like <laughs> I would say Naganu is ready for somebody like Cain Velazquez, um, or or I was gonna say Junior Dos Santos before he got the title shot. You could give him for Doom now, but like under no circumstance would Lewis get one of those guys. And now, what about Travis Brown? God, that's a tough one. Um, uh, especially given that he he just got beat. You know, really badly. You, you're gonna imagine he's gonna need some time off. Um, you know, from a medical standpoint, just having his brain bounced off the canvas like that. He, he's on three losses in a row, and if you want to peel back that, uh, peel it back a couple of more fights, he's one and four in his last five. And the one win versus Matt Mitrione in Boston last January was, poke, right? was yeah, eye poke gate. Yeah, so I mean, it wouldn't surprise me under the new UFC. 
you know, ownership if he wasn't there anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be there. He's probably a top 20 heavyweight. <clears throat> That's but- so interesting because, uh, you know, going back to the post-fight interview, the UFC did edit it on their website, and they took out the Where's Ronda Rousey's fine-ass comment, which a lot of conspiracy theorists just thought was... Uh, you know, their way, because obviously Travis Brown is romantically linked to Ronda Rousey, um, and they have a way, does the UFC, of always uh, protecting her. Um, it would just be interesting if he got cut. I wonder how that could affect a possible uh, future business partnership and return for Ronda Rousey. Yeah, yeah. It, it She's be- very protective of the people in her inner circle. So That is true. I, I mean, and, and you saw Travis Brown was protective of the people in his inner circle when he defended Edmund when, when he <laughs> went and traded Black Zillion for a day. Head movement, head movement, head movement. <laughs> Sorry. What were you saying? Yeah, I, I, I just think you're right. The, it would will be interesting to see what they do with him because of the Ronda Rousey question, too. Uh, and it's weird to say that they might do something different because he's dating Ronda Rousey. But uh, there is that to think about. They want to keep her happy. All right. Well, we'll move on um, to the co-main event. And you had Johnny Hendricks making his debut, his debut at uh, middleweight and looked pretty good against Hector Lombard. I thought he looked very what? smart. Oh, d- one unanimous decision, uh, 30-27 on two judges scorecards, 29-28 on one. Yeah, I-, I thought he looked very smart is what I was going to say is I just think uh, he knew he was fighting a power puncher. He knew he was fighting a guy who wastes a lot of energy. Uh, and instead of forcing him to waste that energy in the entire first three minutes by blitzing him the whole time and risk getting stunned, he kind of drew it out a little bit more. I, I think Lombard did, you know, wane as the, the fight went on. And, and he fought a, a, a smart point fight. I don't think he ever was threatening to beat Lombard or knock him out or anything like that. But but under no circumstances could you give that to Lombard. I, I like what I've seen from Hendricks in the last two fights. Coming from where we were with the Kevin Gastelum fight and the weight cutting issues, even in the, um, what's his name, the fight he just had where he lost by decision, Neil Magny. Oh, yeah. The name escaped me for a second. Um, I just, I think... We do have a remotivated Hendricks. He came on our show, the, the, said the, full wife buy-in. He's training again. Uh, the smiling after the fight. I mean, some of that is obviously because he won for the first time in who knows <laughs> how long. long. But he looked like he was having a good time doing it too. And uh, it, you know, you mentioned friend of the show. I will say, at UFC Halifax, friends of the show went. 4-0, a clean 4-0. Listen to that perspective, guests. <laughs> we got some sort of mojo going for us. But um, no, the uh, the other thing I was going to say, and uh, Joe, Joe Rogan uh, did a UFC fight companion last night, and he was talking to Ian McCall, and I couldn't get over. McCall was talking about why he missed this last fight, and you know, like his gallbladder shut down. The weight cutting is just out of control. Joe Rogan will do a way better rant than I could on this subject. He did it on his fight companion. You can check it out there. But what I love about Johnny Hendricks now, while I am worried that he's, you know, his reach is the shortest at middleweight, I love that he's not doing the brutal weight cut anymore. So I see one of two things for Johnny Hendricks. Either he stays at middleweight with this renewed emphasis on training. He has full family buy-in. The wife supports him. Let's see where he goes. GSP is there. That could be a fun rematch at middleweight if it ever got down to it. Or 
cut him loose. He makes a ton of money. The UFC is obviously in cost-cutting mode. And just let him get on the good stuff and go to Japan and fight for Risen. <laughs> and we would have like a Johnny Hendricks sort of new era pride fighter. I'd love it. Yeah, I, I don't think he would do that just based on, you know, talking to him. He's like a, a pretty simple country guy who wants to fight in the UFC, wants to fight in America. I, I think if, if they cut him loose, he's a prime candidate for the 85 division in Bellator. But I, I agree with you 100%. I think he's a better fit for 85. I think the weight cutting has gotten out of control. And look at how many people have rejuvenated their career just by going up a weight class. I mean, going up a weight class, look what that did for Cowboy Cerrone's life. And, and don't get me wrong, he lost to Masvidal. And sure, maybe, but he's 3-1. and one. But he's 3-1, he's and one and he's looked amazing at 170. I'm excited to see RDA at 172. Absolutely. All right, uh, moving on, and we'll talk about these more in lightning-fast fashion now that we're out of the co-mains, the double mains. You had Gavin Tucker uh, with a dis- unanimous decision win over Sam Cecilia. Your thoughts? I-, I thought Gavin Tucker became one of my new favorite prospects in that 145 division. God, he looked like, at times, he looked like... Cody Garbrandt, mm-hmm. you know, like his head movement out of this world, he was so fast. I mean, he made it look like Sam Cecilia had never fought before. Do you know where young Mr. Tucker trains? I could have the intern uh, um, check it I, out. I know he's out of Canada. So I think he's from Halifax, and he's from like a small-ass gym in Halifax. Okay, okay. Um, so it's not like, you know, TriStar or any of the other ones that are big up in Canada uh, I think he's from like you know twenty minutes away from where the arena was or something like that. Um, so T- Titans MMA is what the Sure Dog uh, Fight Finder says. Yeah, Titans MMA. So I-, I don't even know anything about that gym, who runs it, where it's out of. Um, but you know, like, he looked so good uh, in in that fifteen minute fight. Uh, a middleweight offering Elias Theodoro with a unanimous decision win over Cesar Ferrara. Uh, I mean, the the judges' scorecards got at least one of those wrong. They had him 30-27. There's no way he won all three rounds. There's some bitching and moaning and complaining about the fact that he won. I think it was one-to-one going into the third, and you could have ruled the third either way. So I have no problem with him winning. Just 30-27 is a joke. What do you do with an Elias Theodoro from here? I think think he's got to move uh, to some more serious competition. Not that, you know, Cesar Ferreira wasn't... uh, Big fighter, like a big name fighter. He You're was thinking like fighter winner, top fifteen. Yeah, ranked. and even if it's number fifteen, even if it's like Christoph Jocko or somebody like that, uh, I'd be happy seeing him fight him. Fair enough. And uh, Sarah McMahon put the the squeeze on Gina Mazzani with an arm triangle choke in the first. Uh, this was at a catch weight, 139 pounds. Uh, I I thought that that poor Gina Mazzani was out of her element fighting Sarah McMahon. I I know it was a short notice fight but she's got no business being in there with Sarah it was McMahon. liz Sarah carmouche McMahon's... who was supposed to fight mcmahon was it i Who'd... think so i can't remember who was supposed to fight her originally but it wasn't gina mazzani <laughs> um and, right. and she should have never been in there uh I, i'd love to see sarah mcmahon get maybe a title eliminator now i mean she's she worked her way basically back up there put her against rocky pennington or something god sarah mcmahon just bores the shit out i mean of she's me. better now that she's like Going for subs every time. I think that's two arm triangles in a row. She's Yeah, she's on a three-fight win streak since losing to Amanda Nunes, beat Jessica I via decision, beat Alexis Davis via arm triangle choke, and now Gina Mazzani via arm triangle choke. Yeah, so I I feel like that new emphasis on submitting her opponents uh, makes her a lot more watchable. I will give her that. Paul Felder with the TKO over Alessandro Ricci to kick off the main card on FS1. Very nice fight for Paul Felder. Very exciting fighter. I was happy to see him uh, get the win. Sweet elbow, too. I I mean, like, I had to watch it, like, two or three times 
before you can really see the elbow because it was like super close range. Uh, and he, I mean, he fucked up that dude's nose. I mean, it was brutal. Yeah, you know, I just want to go into Felder a little in depth. He beat Danny Castillo to become a 10 and 0 pro, right? That was back in January. And that was when Danny Castillo was hot, too. Right. And that was in January of 2015. Then he gets uh, losses, decision losses, back-to-back Edson Barbosa, Ross Pearson. Uh, the one versus Edson Barbosa was a fight of the night. I mean, those are two tough dudes as you're coming up the ranks. Then reels off a submission win. No one thought that was coming oh, off. Over of Dar- Darren Crookshank. Over Darren Crookshank. Yeah, decision win over Josh Merk- Berkman. Loses to Francisco Trinaldo last September and now comes back with the Alessandro Ricci win. Felder is an exciting fighter and one I would hope can go on a little streak here. Yeah, and I think he can. He's just got to shore up a couple of pieces of his game. Uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, the funnest name to say, uh, beat Nordine Taleb at welterweight, uh, and it was a unanimous decision all around. What do you think? I I thought it was a fun little brawl, and I thought it was interesting how Ponzinibbio overcame that huge reach advantage that... Talib had, even though it was only like one or two inches on the tail of the tape, it was really clear how well Talib was using it, uh, and how much longer he looked in the cage uh, than he does on the you know the the measuring tape. Uh, so it was interesting to see that he overcame that first round deficit and, and came back to win there. One of the more exciting fights on the night, if you ask me. Um, I mean, there are a lot of good fights on the night. And I guess more, I guess exciting from a personal standpoint story. We saw these two girls on the Ultimate Fighter show uh, for the strawweight title. Uh, and Randa Marcos got a split decision win over Carla Esparza. It was an exciting fight. I think you saw a lot of improvements at Aranda Marcos, specifically her grappling. Got uh, Carla Sparza on the counter grappling. I think is the key. Yeah, yeah, because she didn't offensively look to grapple until Carla Sparza tried to grapple her first, and then she had all kinds of things she was doing with her feet. She was going for inverted triangles and rolling from crucifix positions. And it was just really, really interesting to watch the development there. And I thought uh, she had she had a spinning back fist, too. She uh, had sort of the Nate Diaz uh, shoulder roll with her arm down to try to bait Esparza in. I really like some of the striking I saw out of her. When I, I think some of that, too, is to stop the, the wrestling takedown. Right. The, the leaning way down. Yeah, you see that out of people who are... Uh, afraid of the takedown. I thought Esparza put together some nice combinations too, actually. I'm just not a personal fan of Esparza, and you heard uh, Randa Marcos in her post-fight interview basically with the anti-bullying message, and that was directed, and she confirmed this, at Esparza and what some of those girls did in that house. Uh, I mean, it was like the movie Mean Girls, if you want to go back and watch that that show. Yeah. <laughs> with that, it was like her and uh, Felice Herrick and Angela Magana. Uh, Beck Rawlings kind of ganging up on Randa Marcos. So anyway, I'm a Marcos fan. I, I texted this to you. She's not a future champion, but in the spirit of like a Raquel Pennington or a Forrest Griffin, uh, even though Forrest did get his title, <laughs> uh, I think she could be like a plucky underdog at 115, and it's someone they could market. She's got the fire red hair, so she stands out. Um, but I just I'm a Randa Marcos fan. Likewise, likewise. Uh, a uh, friend of the show, so excited for him. Eamon Zahabi beat Reginaldo Vieira. Um, I'm interested to see where both these fighters go at bantamweight. I saw some things out of Vieira I liked. He seems pretty powerful for bantamweight. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you're the brother of uh, Eamon Zahabi, uh, or sorry, when you're the brother of Faraz Zahabi, I thought Eamon Zahabi just had a larger skill set. Yeah, I thought he had a larger skill set. I, I was 
finding myself wishing watching it the whole thing that uh, I would get more direct offense. It looked like he looked at counter the whole time because he knew that Vieira was such a big power puncher and he was going to throw those big winging shots. And he looked to land only after those big shots. And I kind of wished we saw a little bit more offense out of him, whether it was grappling or whether it was just like striking first. Um, but, uh, you know, first time in the octagon, you can't hope for a, a better uh complete package in that one yeah unanimous decision win if i failed to mention that tiago santos a middleweight defeated jack marshman via tko it was a spinning heel kick and then followed it up with punches pretty pretty cool it was pretty cool and and i knew that that fight was going to go to a knockout either way marshman freaking sweet boxer he's got a, a lot of good time in front of him too um he's coming off of knocking out magnus Sedenblad. um and it you know to for it to be that spectacular of a ko just made it all the better Absolutely. And then kicking off the night, uh, the saxless, the shirtless saxophone player himself <laughs> at a Rufus sport friend of the show, uh, Gerald Mearshart beat Ryan James with a slick armbar uh, from his back. Very BJJ 101. Actually, you might go into your first BJJ class and learn that move. Um, very cool to see his second win in the UFC, his second submission. And you know what I would say about him, too, is after he got taken down, he had two or three opportunities to get up, either wall walking or with the feet on the hips. In every single time, he was just looking to get some room to either go armbar or triangle on Janes. Because he, he was looking 100% sub from open guard, not 100% escape. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think his strategy paid off very smartly, and he looked really good on the ground. And that's a... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt with eight submissions on his record. He just tapped out. Overall, a very fun event. Um, I know we were texting a little bit about uh, Todd Grisham making his debut on Play by Play. I I didn't. You know what? It was his first one, so I'm gonna wit. I'm gonna hold back some judgment. What I will say is uh, I thought he he does have a good voice. He has a booming voice. I, I agree. The voice is, is not my issue. <laughs> well, but I think that's a big thing for just play by play and. Uh, I think he could get better. I actually, if I was going to take stock in, you know, Grisham versus Anik, I'd probably pick stock in Grisham. I think the WWE experience and the Sports Center experience, I don't know. I think Anik could be a little bland. But again, I want both of, you know, Anik got railed for his performance at 208 for not well, speaking enough. Well, I was going to say that's because three, the three man booth doesn't work. We, and, I don't think we talked about that. Last week, but but the three men booth absolutely didn't work. It, there's not enough time for all three people to make their impact. And Anik said he would, and so many play by play announcers say this in modern day sports, specifically WWE and UFC, actually, there are so many sponsorship reads. It's like impossible to keep up with it. He said he was forced to do Halo 3, like more than anything else he had to say that night. So I'm going to reserve judgment on both of them. I want to see if Anik can come into his groove on the pay-per-views. I want to see if Grisham can get into his groove on these B shows and we'll see where the chips fall. But I will tell you, the UFC has already confirmed they're bringing back the three-man booth for 209, only it won't be Cormier. I believe it's going to be uh, Dominic Cruz as the you know fighter uh, second uh, color guy, so to speak. And I wouldn't be su- surprised if they try Brian Stan as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. It, it's kind of interesting that they're pairing the color guy, like a you're right, a fighter color guy to talk to Joe Rogan while the other guy just kind of sits there. It's almost like they're trying to like make it all color and and just keep a play by play guy around just so it it like 
keeps the facade of of having play by play. MMA is MMA is a weird sport, man, and it's not traditional to how you broadcast other sports. In other sports, the play by play guy, everyone knows Al Michaels. You know, you go back to that Monday Night Football Golden Era. Al Michaels is going to do the he drops back to pass. It's down the middle. It's caught. And then John Madden's going to come in with, uh, oh, man, he really got his big bear paws on that, <laughs> you know, and it's completely reversed in in UFC because the action is very quick. There's a level of intelligence uh, that you almost need to even understand what's going on, let's say, on the ground. So you're not going to have your play by play guy start going on to and he's reaching his bottom arm in for that Darce choke. That's going to fall on the color guy. The so guy who's more intelligent. MMA. Yeah. MMA is a very weird weird kind of thing with that so it'll be interesting to see where they go I, I think when you kind of read the tea leaves I don't think Rogan's around for the long haul so you know are they sort of trying to get like a little Rogan magic to rub off on whoever's going to be his replacement eventually it's, it could be I yeah, agree with that, you though the three-man booth it's too crowded I, I think what what it, you might wind up doing is you might wind up with a two-man booth with two color guys um and just doing some play-by-play in the background but like I think they're going to try enough of these three-man boosts to be like, I don't think we need the play-by-play guy and just phase him out. Well, the the one problem with that is, and you heard John Anik, who I assume probably went to like either broadcasting school or maybe he's part of that Syracuse mafia. Even he said he was having problem with the sponsorship reads. If you don't come from that broadcasting background... And, you know, to put that on, like, let's say Brian Stan or, uh, or Dominic Cruz or Dominic right? Cruz. So that's why you almost I mean, again, I, I joked after Goldie left. I said you could have just recorded him doing sponsorship reads from his house and then just <laughs> pressed a button. Halo Wars three brings you this episode of you or whatever. Anyway, we've gone on too long about the, the commentary teams. I want to talk about something serious, Gumby. And that is uh, an article that came out on Bloody Elbow. Uh, speculating, and I'm going to get you the writer's name because we like to give credit where credit's due on this show, speculating that this could be the end of the flyweight division. The division is down to 26 fighters. The UFC just let uh, Horiguchi go and off sign... Off of a win, right? Off of three wins. Three straight wins. Off of three straight wins and sign with uh, Risen uh, in Japan. I uh, I don't know. I just... Uh, what do you think? And uh, is the UFC getting ready to maybe cut bait on 125? You see, I... I Definitely disagree with the fact that they're going to cut a division. And and here's why. It seems to me more and more as I watch WME uh, roll out their different moves. And, and they've there's been weird ones. You know, like obviously this Horiguchi cut's a crazy one. Nikita Krylov getting cut was a crazy one. Uh, not dealing with Misha Serkinov is a crazy one. It seems to me that I believe that they're moving more towards a boxing model. That they want the highest of the high and the lowest of the low. And no middle class. And no middle class. Um, it, and it, it makes sense from boxing because then you pay the high guys what all of the middle of the card would get paid. And then the bottom guys make jack shit. <laughs> you know, that that's a boxing card. I mean, Mayweather makes... Two hundred and fifty million a fight or three hundred and fifty million a fight. The guy who opened the cards making like three thousand. You know, like in it, that like large discrepancy, I think is what WME wants because I think they see bigger profit margins there. Um, and you know, obviously their analysis would tell you better than mine. And that's why I don't think the division's going anywhere either, is because that boxing model is that champion sell. 
So you have to have lots and lots and lots of champions. So that's why there's more interim champions now. You know what I mean? Like they know that a card sells better statistically when there's a champion on the card, even if it's a trashy champion. If there's a championship on the card, it instantly sells better. All right. So it's Tim Burke who did the article. So I just want to give credit where credit's due. And I I see both points. I think also because Demetrius Johnson has been so dominant that if they're just clearing out, let's not forget Horiguchi has a loss to him. If they're just kind of clearing out people like they let Ali Bogatinoff go. Demetrius Johnson has a win over him well, on paper. Plus, he popped for steroids, which which should be noted as well. Sure, but what my point is is that anyone who Demetrius Johnson beat that's not, let's say, Joseph Benavidez, who probably has more Twitter followers or, than the other Henry ones, Cejudo. or Henry Cejudo, they might just be saying, you know what, Demetrius Johnson has this thing on such lockdown, we can let them walk, we can have some up and coming fighters that we pay less to because yeah, he- they're not as much of names. But that all being said, when you do look at the fact that there have only been two non-title flyweight fights to ever headline a main event, this is a division that's just kind of on the backs of every other division in the UFC. It's not one that sells. The champion doesn't sell. When he's headline pay-per-views, they've bombed. Um, I I agree with that, too, but here's a counterpoint to that. He, there's no way he's going to headline a pay-per-view. You're right. He probably never headlined a pay-per-view again as long as he lives. But if we put a Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson title fight on top of this London card coming up, would it possibly do better numbers on, on Fight Pass or FS1 or whatever it's going to be on? It, it might. Yeah, in, A little. It, it yeah. would probably do a little bit better. And, and I think that's the, the play in the long run from WME is that even if we have – you, say say we have 20 champions. Say they really expanded, added a couple extra weight classes, a couple extra women's weight classes, a couple of interim champions. We wind up with 20 champions. There might be five of them who are super marketable. But the other 15 are going to pick up a hundred to 200,000 extra on those shows in London, you know, like this one coming up, that they wouldn't otherwise get. And, and how much extra does it cost them to have those divisions? Nothing. You know, like you said, this division's going to stay going with twenty five people in it. Yeah, well, it's the lowest. It's the lowest number of fighters in any division, well, that, except for women's featherweight. Well, and, <laughs> and that's actually kind of where I see it too. Is I would rather have a women's featherweight if they could fill that out than men's flyweight. To well, be uh, quite and, honest with you, if I was given the choice, so is this shrinking of flyweight going to be so they can pump up women's featherweight? These are all – this is all speculative, right? Cause I, I, I we, think they're going to shrink a lot of the divisions, though, especially the ones that don't sell. You know, If you don't have a lot of marketable challengers and you don't have a marketable champ, you can keep the division around to sell it just with very few fighters, and it does the, the task that WME is looking for. You know, it, it doesn't do much for the legitimacy of sport, which is what we wanted and what the Fertitas wanted, but – it's doing what WME wants, I think. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I mean, we'll have to see where it goes. Um, a, a lot of people have speculated on certain William Morris Endeavor uh, moves that haven't come to fruition. There are some troubling signs. But that being said, if they got rid of the flyweight division, I wouldn't lose a second of sleep. No, and I, actually, it, it's funny that this is all coming out right now because I, I want to say like six months ago, uh, Ricky Leone, who writes for MMA-Manifesto.com, wrote an article arguing why they should ditch the featherweight division. Well, there or uh, flyweight division, rather. A- everyone so. go check that out. Ricky Leone, MMA-Manifesto.com, uh, ban the flyweight division. All right, so, Gumby. 
we have something exciting to talk about. We get to move on now and play you our interview with number five ranked UFC light heavyweight Jimmy Manawa. It, of course, is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Head on over to dsgear.com. I recommend the fight shorts. If you're more of a gi player, check out their hemp gis. Super durable, antimicrobial. Almost everyone knows hemp is a billion times better than cotton. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, all one word, not case sensitive, at dsgear.com. Get yourself a discount. It helps the show out. It keeps the lights on, so to speak, in the Top Turtle studios. Gosh darn, do we appreciate it. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with UFC fighter Jimmy Manawa. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking with poster boy Jimmy Manawa, who fights Corey Anderson at Ultimate Fight Night London on March 18th. Uh, Jimmy, when you got the call to headline Fight Night in London, which is, you know, your home, what was your reaction when you heard the news? Um, you know, it, it was... It was, I was also, uh, obviously proud to uh, to headline, but then again, I, I kind of expected it. I kind of expect to be main event in my hometown. Why not? Absolutely, and and you know, so we talked a little bit about uh, your opponent earlier on the show. You you just knocked out uh, OSP, who is arguably a bigger name than Corey Anderson. He was ranked higher than Corey Anderson. Uh, do you wish you were getting a a bigger name for this headlining, or are you just happy to be headlining in London? I'm happy to be headlining in London, no matter who it is. But um, I, I wanted, I wanted, I did want a bigger name. But you know, Corey Anderson's a great fighter. I'm not, I'm not looking past him at all. He's ranked number seven now. He won the Ultimate Fighter. He's a great, durable guy and uh, with a good engine. And that, and um, you know, I'm looking forward to the fight. But before this fight, we were pushing for a push for the, uh, to share a fight. Which I thought would have been would have been a great a great fight for the fans and everything. We're two stand up fighters and rank rank two both ranked in the top five in the world and that and um, but somehow the fight didn't happen. I don't know if Tashera wanted the fight or what, but I signed a contract for the fight, but then the the, the fight got scrapped. So um, you know, then after that we pushed for Ryan Bader and uh, I think there was contractual issues and stuff. And then after that, we pushed for Shogun, and Shogun said no. So um, the other options were Corey Anderson and Arthur Jack, because you know I wanted I, I, I wanted the top top ten opponent at least. Absolutely, and and like you said, Corey Anderson at this point, you know, is really one of the, if not the biggest prospect in that division now. Uh, being that you know Dana White recently revealed that he had cut off negotiations with with Misha Serkinov, uh, obviously a fluid situation. But Corey Anderson is definitely an, uh, you know one of the bigger up and comers in the division, and it's still a statement, uh, you know. Uh, if you beat him, uh, you mentioned uh, the Glover fight. Do, do you feel you match up particularly well with him? Is that a fight you'd still look for uh, in the future? Uh, do you know what? Not in the future now, because I, I was looking forward to fighting him already. And uh, you know, I don't think he wanted to, he wanted to fight. He, he fought a, a number number fifteen guy for his last fight, and he's ranked number three, which makes no sense to me. But um, I'm, I'm not looking for the for the Glover fight after this. No, after I beat Corey Anderson, I'll be looking for um, uh, the winner out of DC and uh, Rumble Johnson, or maybe welcome back John Jones. 
All right. That's awesome. I mean, the, those are the big names. Those are the big three at the top right now. And, and Jones and D.C., certainly the big two, uh, the perennial top two for the past few years here in that division. Do you feel your skill set matches up uh, better with either Jones or Cormier? Would you have a preference there in who or uh, yeah, in either Jones or Cormier? Who would you rather fight there? Um. I'd rather fight John Jones, probably. You know, he beat Cormier. Has he beat him twice or once? He's beaten him and, once uh, at this point. They've had, like, 13 fights scheduled, but they've only <laughs> had one fight come through. 13? Fuck. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, I think I'd probably rather fight John Jones. It'd be, it'd be for a more, more exciting fight, I think. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that too. You know, uh, I like it the fact that he's he's willing to stand and trade and not just uh, grind it out. Let's let's talk a little bit about grinding out though, because you know that's one of the things Corey Anderson is known for uh, is he's known for grinding out decisions, kind of up against the the wall. Yeah, it won't be it won't be grinding anything out in London. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so what what preparations are you doing to make sure that you know obviously you know you're you're quite good at takedown defense as it is, but what extra, if anything, are you doing to prepare for that style uh, in order to, to make sure that that doesn't happen? Man, I've, got the, I've got the best team in the world. I've trained with Alexander Gustafsson. I've trained with Ilya Tifi at the All-Stars gym. We've got loads of European Russians coming over and help, uh, helping us out over there with, um, with wrestling and stuff like that. So I'm more than, I'll be more than ready for, for, for what he has to offer. And I guarantee he won't be he won't be ready for what I have to offer. So it's gonna be it's looking like it's gonna be a short night for me. And that that is an awesome cast of characters to it at All Star. You know, you mentioned Alexander Gustafson. Uh, you know, he is a former opponent. You fought Alexander Gustafson. What's it like working out with somebody like that? Mate, I've learned so much from him, and and we push each other to the to the limits. Isn't it? Nothing better than having that that experience and that level. Of training partner, you can't, you can't, you can't substitute it for anything. So you know, I'm training with the best in the world. So my my level is only going to rise, and 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 it's like still sharp and still, you know. And and speaking of teammates, you know, you're you're training with with Reza Madadi, who's also fighting on the London card. Is it sort of helpful to have uh, to somebody you know working towards the same goal, same peak date uh, around you? And you know, when you're you're at that fight, are are you going to be watching the fight in the back, or are you going to be uh you know all on business? Yeah, hundred percent, man. I'm going to be relaxing, watching Reza's fight just before I start getting um, just before I start getting warmed up, and that's so I'm going to be cheering and. Uh, you know, screaming for Reza in the back before I come out and do work. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, you know, you've already hinted at this a little bit, uh, being that, you know, you said it was going to be a short night for you. Uh, but always before we let you go, we like to uh, we like to grab a prediction on what you think uh, the outcome of the Second fight is. Round. Second round stoppage. Second round stoppage? Second round stoppage. I'll feel him out in the first and end it in the second. Boom. Well, there you have it. What more needs to be said? Uh, Jimmy Manoa is predicting a second-round stoppage. He fights Corey Anderson at Ultimate Fight Night London on March 18th. Uh, Jimmy, we thank you so much for the time. We know how busy you are with training camp leading up to the fight, and we wish you the best of luck in that fight. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Gumby, there you have it. Jimmy Manoa. Yeah, really interesting what he said about those matchups, too, because you know, when they announced he was fighting Corey Anderson, 
as the headliner in London. I, I did think it was weird, right? Because you were looking for Glover or Shogun or somebody like that. And it, it looks like both of them were offered to be in there and just didn't want to bang with Jimmy Manuel after watching him knock out OSP. Yeah, I don't believe that, actually. I think that the UFC does this kind of stuff on purpose and maybe said, oh, we offered it to Glover and he didn't sign it. I, you know, there, it's very possible. It, it would be interesting to hear from Glover whether or not it was ever offered to him. And, and I bet, too, if I mean, if he did turn it down, he probably had a decent reason, you know, like wanted to fight in the U.S., uh, which is why he wound up with Janet Cannonier there anyway. Um, or something else like that. But. That's the other thing. Yeah, Glover is in Danbury, Connecticut. He trains about an hour and 15 minutes north of where that Brooklyn card was. Why wouldn't he want to fight in Brooklyn? So I never really get into so much like, well, the UFC said this. I mean, <laughs> what did we hear with Habib Nurmagomedov and Connor and Michael Johnson and everything How going about into the 205? We've heard with Tony Ferguson, you know, between Ferguson, Nurmagomedov, Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor. I mean, those four have all said shit that the UFC has said to them about who they get next. Yeah, so it is what it is. But I'm very excited for that matchup regardless because, you know, now with uh, with Serkinov and Krylov supposedly out of the UFC. Manawa well, could be the next name. I, I mean, and then uh, I was going to say uh, if Corey Anderson pulled it off, there's your... I mean, he's a big... Yep, that would that, be huge for That's him. your up-and-coming fighter right now is Corey Anderson. If Krylov and Serkinov are gone. Who else is young and exciting in that division? Very well. Tyson, Tyson Pedro, or, or uh, uh, who's Tyson Pedro supposed to be fighting? Uh, oh, the Bear Jew, Paul Craig. Both of those two decent names too uh, for two hundred five. But but yeah, lot of lot of lack there. Yeah, the two hundred five division. A lot of lack there. So it, it's an interesting matchup. I'm glad we got him on the show. Worth also noting this past weekend, Gumby, Fedor was fo- supposed to fight Matt Mitrione. <laughs> Didn't happen. Kidney stones. Mitrione <laughs> got kidney stones. The fight will be rebooked in June, uh, May or June, they said. But uh, just a tough one, you know? It, yeah. it, it would have been fun to see uh, Fedor fight. And, and nobody's fa- fault, really. I mean, like, Mitrione having kidney stones, you can't blame him for that. I, he was tweeting the day after about pissing him out in the airport, too, which is... Uh, if, if you haven't gotten a chance to read him defending himself against the trolls of the internet, it's it's pretty funny. Head on over to his Twitter page. Uh, but yeah, upsetting that that fight didn't come out. Uh, I mean, it, that card was left with not a whole lot exciting uh, after that one went away. Uh, so it's a good thing it happened the night of. Otherwise, I mean... How the hell do you sell that card? Yeah, don't know. All right. Well, that all being said, there's no nothing scheduled this weekend from the UFC, so we have nothing to preview. But next week we come back and we have a very exciting show to preview uh, because it's Woodley versus Wonderboy and the Eagle versus El Kikoi. Uh So that is an exciting pay-per-view, and I can't wait to talk about that. We will be back next week with another great show. We thank you so much for listening. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast.